First Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, as we continue our series in First Peter called Full Hope. <laughs> Indeed. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Throughout this letter of 1 Peter, the apostle encourages his readers to endure suffering and even persecution, endure the trials and tribulations that come as they surrender themselves entirely to God. So in doing so, he encourages us to remain faithful through the tough stuff of life, knowing that God will vindicate us in his time and that we will certainly, we will certainly enjoy the salvation that Jesus had secured for us on the cross. That's kind of the theme of First Peter. Have you, been, have you picked up on that so far? We're just in chapter 2, but that theme keeps coming back to remind us that we need to remain faithful in hard situations, knowing that God himself will vindicate us when the right time comes. So this is really not, <laughs> this is really not the popular gospel of the 21st century. You know, health, wealth, and prosperity, name it, claim it, walk in, yeah, 1 Peter is not a favorite letter of, of that movement, that modern-day movement, because Peter talks about the necessity and the importance of suffering and persecution and how perseverance brings hope and the passage from Romans 5 that Cindy read for us. So here in 1 Peter, we detect that the, the Christian faith was under threat. And those who were seeking to live for Jesus were we're under the threat of persecution at some level or another. In response, Peter writes often about the hope that is in us because of Jesus. That we can be full of hope even in the midst of trials and tribulations and financial difficulty and emotional distress. We can be full of hope. He says in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to what? A new and living hope. A new and living hope. We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this letter really is all about hope. Our faith may be threatened. We may experience suffering, persecution from time to time. We may struggle with relationships and finances. We may wrestle with the temptations that come our way and the images we see on the television and all that stuff. But we can still, we can still be full of hope. Do you believe that? The Bible says it's true. Two weeks ago, I started 1 Peter chapter 2. And we talked about the fact that we are children in the same family. We're stones in the same building, remember? We don't want to look like stones, 
but we are stones in the same building. And some of you are about ready to stone me right now. Uh, We are priests in the same temple, and we're partners in the same enterprise. Right? Remember that? That was just two weeks ago. Hopefully you have some vague memory of that. And then Peter went on to say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And so, because of that, because that, all of that is true, because of that, because there is a, there's a very special place for all believers in the heart of God, because of that, we ought to set up a strong defense against everything, everything that might wage war against our souls. Why? Well, because we're a special possession, because we're a holy nation, because we're a, a priesthood of believers. So we need to set up a defense and protect that. We need to set up a defense against everything that wages war against what God is doing in our hearts and souls. And that's his point in verses 11 and 12. That's his point. The best defense against everything that wages war against your soul is a good offense. The best defense is a good offense. I mean, most NFL teams, that's how they, that's how they think about defense. Yeah, there's a defensive coordinator, but the offense, the offense team also needs to be on the defense, and they, they do defense by keeping hold of the ball. They march down the field from the five, their own five-yard line right to the end of the field and score a touchdown. The best defense is a good offense. The best way to defend your spiritual life and protect your heart is to make sure that you are growing in grace. I mean, I know from personal experience that when I get complacent or when I get self-satisfied, you know, feeling like I'm doing pretty good. That's when I'm most prone to sin. When my Bible reading, my quiet time, begins to get inconsistent or non-existent, my heart is most prone to sin. I'm prone to wander. And I feel it. And I start to lose ground at that point. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, is really trying to help us understand how we can hold on to the ball and not fumble on the five-yard line. We need to set up a strong defense. And the best defense is a strong offense. So here are three principles, I think, that will help us. First of all, accept your status. Accept your status. Let's read this verse out loud together. Would, would you join me? First Peter 2 verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So I think the placement of the word beloved probably sig- signals a new section in this letter. So Peter's about to launch into a, a new important topic, namely that uh, uh, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ must bear witness to the gospel by their conduct, by the way they live. And I think that's his thrust now in these two verses. We're beloved. We're God's beloved, his dearly loved children. 
And that gives us a a unique and privileged position in the universe because he doesn't say that about any other part of his creation. He doesn't say that about your, your little shih tzu at home. My beloved little shih tzu. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that about your 2015 Corvette in the garage for the winter because you don't want to drive it. In the, he oh, my beloved Corvette. He doesn't say that. He only says that about us. We're the beloved of God. The ones who have come to faith in Jesus Christ are the beloved. And that just gives us a, a privileged position, an exalted position in the heart of God. Just read Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? Oh, wow. Created just a little lower than the heavenly beings. Woo! We have a high and exalted position in the creation. We're the only part of his creation that he calls beloved. And, and eight times, eight times in Peter's two letters, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, eight times he mentions that God loves us. He wants to make sure that we understand our status as children of God. He wants to make sure we we get it. You know, every time I talk to my adult kids on the telephone, every time without fail, short conversation, long conversation, talk to my daughter in Toronto, talk to my son here, every time I talk to them, we end the conversation the same way. Love you, son. Love you, dad. Love you, sweet pea. Love you, daddy. Love you, love you, love you. Love you, love you. It's a love fest. I, I want them to know that their father loves them. I, I don't want them to go a single day wondering whether or not their daddy loves them. Not for a single day. I want them to know their status, that I love them without condition, that there's nothing that they could do or say that would make me love them less. They're loved with unlimited, celebrated and lofty love by their earthly father. So how much more, how much more then are they loved by their heavenly father? Infinitely more. I, mean, I can't even imagine how much the father loves them if I love them as much as I do. And 1 John 3, 1 just explodes with this truth. See how great, the, see what great love the father has lavished on us, John writes. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. He lavishes love on us. No wonder we're the beloved. We're covered in love. The love of God. So I urge you to accept what God says about you. Accept what God says about you. You are loved by the Father. Don't resist that life-changing and life-giving truth. God loves you. And resist the other stuff that you hear from the world. That you're, you're, you're ugly, you're, you're, you're too fat, you're, you're, you're dumb, you're a loser, you'll never make much of yourself, you're stupid. Those are all lies. Right? Say with me, those are lies. Those are lies. Don't believe that stuff. Believe what God says about you. He says, you're beloved. You're loved by God. You're you're His own precious, special possession. I like that. We're also sojourners and exiles. 
Beloved, according to verse 11, but also sojourners and exiles, whatever that means. I mean, it kind of sounds like we have a role in uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean. Sounds like, you know, sojourners and exiles we are. (laughs) Let's go get them. What does that mean? To be loved by God, but aliens and strangers in the world. What does that mean? Well, those terms take us back to Abraham and Genesis chapter 23, where he spoke to the Hittites after his wife Sarah had died. Sarah had died, and he was trying to find a place to bury his wife. And he says in verse 23, verse 4, Genesis 23, 4, I'm a sojourner and foreigner. Aha! I'm a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. See, Abraham knew he didn't really belong there. That wasn't his property. This wasn't the promised land that God had given them. So he's ready to pay money for a place to bury his wife. He's a foreigner in that land. And Hebrews 13 carries the idea just a little bit further. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This isn't isn't home for us. Well, temporarily it is, and we get to enjoy all all the good stuff there is, and sometimes we go fishing for musky with John, and other times we don't catch anything. But this isn't really our home. We're aliens and strangers for a while here. 60, 70, 80 years, maybe 90. We're aliens and strangers also because we can't fully accept the the way the world lives and the way the world operates. Why? Well, because we we march to to the beat of a different drummer. The values of the kingdom are not the values of this world. We're not supposed to have the love of the world in our hearts. We're supposed to love the Father. And so it makes everything different while we journey on the planet. We're sojourners. We're, we're sort of just we're pilgrims. We're passing through. We have no permanent, lasting, eternal city here. <laughs> we're waiting for the city to come. The new Jerusalem. And and if we're ever going to make a lasting impact on the world in which we live here, if we're going to make a lasting impact for Jesus in our schools or in our homes or in our workplaces, at the university, at the factory, we're just going to have to accept our status. We have to get our, wrap our heads around the status that we have as Christians. You know, I bring out my status and my passport. I'm a Canadian citizen. God says, hey, you're a citizen of heaven, you're beloved, but while you're here on earth, you're a sojourner in exile. We just have to accept our status. And the Bible has so much more to say about our status, I haven't even started to scratch the surface. Haven't even begun. There's so much more. In fact, have a look at this. You ask the question, who am I in Christ? Well, in Christ Jesus, you are accepted. You're God's child. You're a friend of Jesus. You've been justified. You're bought with a price. You're, you're precious to God. You belong to God. You've been chosen by God. You've been forgiven by God. You've been redeemed. You are complete in Christ. 
That's your status. That's our status. Accepted. We've been accepted in Christ. And all of that is true about us. And oh, it even comes from the Bible. It's right there in Scripture. That's who you are. That's your status now. Do you believe it? Will you accept it? Okay. And if you're in Christ, you're also secure. And so you have every right to say to other people, to anyone who might listen, hey, I'm free from condemnation. I'm free from condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I know God's working for my good. Romans 8, 26, 28. I'll never be separated from the love of God. Never, ever, 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 ever. I've been established and anointed and sealed by God. I'm confident that he'll complete the good work in me that he started. And all, that, all of that is true, isn't it? Of course it is. That's who I am in Christ. That's who you are in Christ. So lift up your chin, my friend. Walk with your shoulders back. You're the king's kid. You may be an alien and a stranger on earth, like me, but don't ever forget that in Christ you are accepted and you are secure and you're also significant. Yes, you are. You're the salt and light of the earth. You've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. You're a minister of reconciliation. You're God's workmanship. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're significant. You are somebody. God has done a work in your life. So don't listen to the lies and the rumors. Don't listen to it. Don't listen to the enemy as he whispers to you when you look in the mirror getting ready in the morning. You're so ugly, you know. You need some enhancements. The only enhancement you need is, is this. Just, just go to the cross again. Say, Lord, thank you for who I am in Christ. I accept that. I accept the fact that I'm, I'm accepted, that I'm secure, that I'm significant. I can live with that, can't you? <laughs> yes, sir. Don't listen to those other voices. Now, let's just do a little bit more work with this next principle <clears throat> in setting up a strong defense. Abstain from sinful desires. Back to verse 11 again. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Well, what are these passions of the flesh? What is the Bible talking about? And does the Bible provide any more clarity on what these passions of the flesh really are? Can we get a little explanation here? Yes, yes we can. Galatians 5 Verses 19 through 21 list many of the deeds and attitudes that are common to the flesh or the sinful, uh, sinful nature, depending on what translation of the Bible you have. Peter refers to them as passions of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And things like these. So in case he missed any, you know, he just adds, and things like these. Which makes you think, my goodness, the list is much longer, isn't it? It is. It really is. Much longer. And I think under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter wrote this 
to encompass all the modern-day passions of the flesh that we live with. Internet, pornography, and all those other things. That's what he means, and things like these. Works of the flesh are the attitudes and actions that flow out of fallen human nature and its desires. And mark my word, apart from the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in us, these are the actions and attitudes to which every human being instinctively gravitates. Because every human being is a fallen person. Genesis chapter 3. We've inherited this sinful nature. And everybody lives with that every day. Even though we're redeemed, we we still have the sinful nature working in us. Romans chapter 7. The things I want to do, I don't do. Those things that I don't want to do, I do. Oh, man. Deliver me! And then you step into Romans 8. Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Apart from the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, all of these actions and attitudes in Galatians chapter 5 and these passions of the flesh run rampant, and quite naturally so in the hearts and minds of men and women, because they don't know any difference. But the power of the gospel can transform their lives their actions, their attitudes. And then this Christ living in us becomes the holiness which we live our lives. And if the best defense against the works of the flesh is a good offense, then we need to be proactive in doing all that we can to abstain from all these things that wage war against our souls and keep growing in grace. More than 40 years ago, a man who was on parole from prison attempted to rob a bank in Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, When the police arrived, he he took some hostages in the bank, and the standoff between the police and the bank robber lasted for six days. He told the authorities on the telephone, and he told the hostages that he would start killing them one by one if they didn't meet his demands. And yet, one of the women hostages decided that she was better off, she was safer with the bad guy than with the police. And in fact, she wasn't the only one. There were several hostages that decided the same thing. They were going to put their chips in with the bank robber instead of the police. They later refused to testify against their captor. Some of them even raised money for his defense. Go figure. And now, whenever you hear about a hostage who identifies more with their captors than with their rescuers, it's a condition called the Stockholm Syndrome. That's where it came from. That experience, that six-day event 40 years ago in Stockholm, Sweden. It's amazing to me how people can get so, so psychologically turned around that they can't tell the difference between the good guys and the bad guys. And I think that's also precisely why Peter writes what he writes here. That we need to abstain from these things because they can, they can so confuse you about right and wrong 
you'll, you'll get totally twisted around. Your worldview, your mindset will get twisted by these things, these passions of the flesh. The more you give in to them, the more confused you get. So it's amazing to me also how people can get so spiritually turned around that they would rather follow the desires of the flesh than follow after Jesus. If you spend too much time with these robbers of the soul, you get twisted around. Your discernment begins to drop off and you start making really stupid decisions. Be careful. Be sober-minded. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for you. He's looking for you. You try to hide in the dark, having fulfilled the passions of the flesh, you you hide in the dark thinking nobody can see you, he'll find you, and he will eat you up. He prowls around like a lion, looking for somebody to chew up and spit out. So be careful. The best way to defend yourself against the passions of the flesh is to live according to your status as dearly loved children of God who have been saved by grace through faith. Live according to your status. Abstain from the sinful desires of the flesh by the grace of God in the power of the Holy Spirit and live holy. Simple. Not always easy, but simple. And then thirdly, gulp, absorb the slander. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, he says in verse 12, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Some say the the day of judgment. Oh, could we get the right slide up there? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. We're finding. We'll find it. Apple Incorporated set off a, a frenzy of activity on September 19th when they debuted the iPhone 6 and the 6 Plus. The same morning, uh, workers from a company called, a tech company called Teardown.com sent their workers into the lineups at like 3 and 4 in the morning because they, they wanted to buy some of the iPhone 6. So once they got the product, they raced back to company headquarters where engineers started to tear down these, these products. Uh, we took a screwdriver and tore them apart, said one of Teardown.com's analysts. We wanted to, to know every detail of everything that's inside who the supplier was for every component and wire and screw and how much it cost to make. And so over the next 12 hours, the battery, the camera, the the materials, the electronics, all of the contacts, everything was analyzed and priced. And then they rolled it into a spreadsheet and then they put it on the internet for the high-tech industry to see how much the iPhone 6 actually costs to make. You don't want to know. You don't want to know. But over the last 15 years or so, this company, Teardown.com, has, uh, 
has broken down more than 2,000 different products, camcorders and cameras and laptops and all that sort of stuff. Uh, But as I read that article, I got thinking to myself, electronic devices are not the only things that get taken apart piece by piece, are they? Sadly, some people make it their primary business to tear down people rather than build them up. There are a lot of people that work for the company teardown.com. Not the official company that does the high-tech work, but this fellowship that circles in the world and unfortunately in the church where our primary business is to tear down other people rather than build them up. And that's just the cruel reality of the world in which we live. I think this is something we're going to have have to live with until the day that Jesus comes back. Unfortunately, people make it their business to tear down other people. And when that happens to you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? When you become a victim of slander or insult or cyberbullying, what are you going to do? You're going to take things into your own hands? Well, let us know how that works out for you. You're going to get even. Well, again, see how that works. Show them a lesson or two. Really? Here is Peter's advice. Live honorably. Live with real, genuine integrity among your unbelieving neighbors, your co-workers, your classmates, your family. Live an honorable life that's full of integrity. Honor Jesus in everything you do and say. Wherever you may be. And then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable life. They will hear your well-chosen words that sound like heaven. And they will give honor and glory and praise to God someday. They will give honor to God when He judges the world. I mean, that's the word of God. And and yes, some people may accuse you of doing wrong when you've done nothing wrong. What are you going to do? Just absorb the slander. Don't retaliate. Keep doing good deeds, and sooner or later, those people will run out of things to say about you. They'll run out of ammunition because you're not feeding it. You're not giving them more. I mean, you retaliate, you strike back, and, you, and they just got more ammunition. See, I told you. Look at that. Just absorb the slander. Don't retaliate. Peter said the best defense is not a verbal assault on the perpetrators or a get-even attitude. Just live an honorable life. God will look after the rest. He really will, and He really does. It may not be according to your timetable or mine, In my own experience, it's taken a lot longer than I would have liked. But it is happening. 
And I know it's hard not to retaliate. And I haven't always been successful. There are things I've done to get even or, or, or get back that, you know, I have regrets about. Maybe you do too. It's hard not to retaliate. It's hard not to hit back and even the score. I know that. But, but people who slander you one day will have to face the Lord of glory and give an account for what they said or what they did to you or about you. There's not a text message. There's not an email. There's not a word that he forgets. And he'll make all things right on that day when he visits us. I'd rather put my trust in the judge of all the earth than my own schemes and wisdom. So, absorb the slander. Live an honorable life and forget about it. Just forget about it. Go on your merry way. Live out your life with God. Seek to live a life that's pleasing to Jesus every day and forget about it. Forget about all the slander. Forget about the insults. Forget about it. Just forget about it. Suck it up, (laughs) princess, and keep moving forward. Like Plato once said, live in such a way that no one will believe what they say. Wow. Wow. Live in such a way that no one will believe what they say. Hmm. So accept your status. Abstain from sinful desires. Passions of the flesh. And just absorb the slander in a godly life. Let's pray together. Father, just a moment ago I said that some of this stuff that I'm teaching this morning is, is not complicated. It's, it's rather simple, but it sure isn't easy. Accepting our status before God, well, that brings great joy. And we do that willingly and eagerly today. We accept the fact that in Christ Jesus we are accepted and secure and we live a significant life according to the word of God. It's not as easy to abstain from sinful desires, sinful passions, the passions of the flesh, because they're, they're all around us. They're in us and they're around us and we, we're just tempted and bombarded every day. But you wouldn't have given this advice to us if it wasn't possible. And so we keep leaning into that and we, we have a strong desire to abstain from, from passions of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Father, it's this last one, especially for me. I mean, just for me personally, absorbing slander is really tough. It's just one of those hard, hard things. And I I know I need to do it. I I, I should do it. I need to do it. I want to do it because it it comes to us from the Word of God, and yet it's, it's difficult. So I pray that you will... Enable us and strengthen us and empower us as, as your people, God's own possession. To do just that, to live such honorable lives 
among our family members and classmates and workmates that they won't, they won't even have any ammunition. They have to lie through their teeth to make something up about us. Well, and we know that happens too. But we're going to trust you, Lord Jesus, to even things out on the day of visitation. I can't do anything. We can't do anything about what people say. And so we just have to absorb it in a godly life and keep moving forward. Pray that you'd give us strength and courage to do that in these days, in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.